Good morning, church. Oh, God is good, isn't He? He's brought us to today to be able to worship Him, to smile at each other, to encourage one another, to fellowship one with another, to worship our God with each other. There's so much good in this moment that we're in right now. It is great to see each of you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance. We thank God for this opportunity to be here today. Let's go to God, please, together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We give unto you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We thank you so very much for allowing us, Lord God, this hour, this moment, to worship you, to worship your name, to lift you up in our minds and in our hearts. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to be your people, a people that, uh, that are trying to live contrary to the world, that we might be an example to the world, a light to the world. We ask, Lord God, that you will give us the strength to be what you want us to be and to do what you want us to do, and that you would please guide us. We ask, Lord God, that you'll bless us this morning as we worship you, that you will help us to, to rid our minds of all worldly thought. We might focus only on you right now, on your word, your will, and your way. We might focus on Jesus, your great son, in whom you have so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. Bless us, Lord God, to never forget. We do praise you. We do thank you. And we do love you. It's in Jesus' most wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name. We do pray and give thee thanks. But be thy will. Amen. This morning we're going to um, stay in the, we're going to go to the book of Hosea. We were in the book of Hosea last week looking at Jesus. As we looked at Jesus... Jesus had a bride. The bride is the church. And Hosea gave us this picture of Israel being the bride of God and being so wicked and evil. And I want to talk this morning about the fall of Israel. And then I want us to take that idea, what we learn from the Old Testament, and apply it to the Lord's church today. As Israel congregations of the Lord's church fall. Members of God's body fall. We have to individually reach continually for the prize of the upward call of God. Collectively, we must reach for the upward call of God, helping each other along the way. This is not an individual uh, campaign, if you will, in Christ. We're doing this together. We need each other. We cannot do it without each other. We're going to start in Philippians, please, chapter 3. Reaching forward to God should be the goal of the Christian walk every single day of our lives. Reaching forward to the cross. As Paul said by way of inspiration in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I love when uh, our generals would say, and our commanders, all right, all right, guys, all right, men, that was yesterday. Today's a new day. Let's press on. And Paul says, you know, we can look at our yesterday and and maybe our yesterday had some, some news that, that we struggled with. Or perhaps our yesterday has something on the news that we struggled with. But today is a new day. And Paul says, I, I press on, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead, forgetting what is behind me. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Turn please to Luke chapter 9. Today is a brand new day in Christ. In Luke 9, Jesus says in verse 62, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so here we are reaching reaching forward to the creator of the world, of the universe, the things that are seen, things that are not seen. Revelation, please, chapter 1. And as we reach forward in Christ, God tells us something that I want us to think about and take seriously. He threatens to remove the candlestick from congregations who refuse to live righteously, who neglect To do his will. It's kind of scary. Even individuals. In Revelation 1 and verse verse 19. Write therefore the things which you have seen. And the things which are. And the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then he reaches over to Ephesus, some 50 years after its beginning, and he says to them, you've lost your first love. And in verse 5, the words say, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And how scary, right? But at the same time, how simple to just repent. And God will make all well again. Imagine the light that is in you growing dim. Imagine the light that is in you eventually going out. And sadly, we've seen that in individuals. We've seen that in congregations where that light has grown dim. Have you ever visited one of your old maybe congregations that you attended years ago? And you're on vacation, and you're excited to go back and become reacquainted with brethren, and you get there, 
And that congregation is no more. Sadly, church, it's happened. Not necessarily that God's removed the candlestick, but what happened? And that's what we have to continue to think about amongst ourselves. Whatever happened, we have to make sure it doesn't happen to us. Remember your first love. In verse 3 of chapter 3, talking to the church of Sardis, he says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know it what hour I will come upon you. And so the fall of a church, of the kingdom, individuals within the kingdom, is very real. Hosea tells us why the sinful nation of Israel fell. I want us to go back to Hosea chapter 4, please. He tells us why they fell. And the the beautiful thing about this is that God doesn't just say they fail. He tells us why they fail. He gives us something that we can look out for in our individual lives and as a church body as a whole, collectively. He gives us something to watch out for. He tells us, and he, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, one of the reasons they fail. My people are destroyed. For a lack of knowledge. How much time do you have? (laughs) For a lack of knowledge? Lord, do you want me to go to college? No. No, I'm not talking about that. Lord, do you want me to take another course on my job? No, I'm I'm not talking about that. Church, how often are you reading the Word of God? And let me ask you this. This may be a little personal, but how long have you been a child of God? And in the time of which you've been a child of God, how many times have you read the whole Bible through from beginning to end? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And you might say, well, preacher, there's nothing that says I've got to read the Bible from beginning to end. Well, don't you want to know God? (laughs) That's the only way you're going to find out. You have, to, you have to pick up the book and read through it to understand how God has dealt with humanity, to understand what man has done to our God, to understand what I am doing to my God, and to know how to do better. My people are destroyed, not just fallen, but destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because my people are lazy spiritual readers. We'll read novels. We'll read the newspaper. But how much time do we spend in God's Word? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being my priest. Wait a minute, Lord, I've never rejected the knowledge when it's, when it's at your fingertips and you won't even pick the book up or, or your device and read it. It's the same to God as rejecting His message. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, 
I also will forget your children. Forgotten. Well, Lord, I never knew. That's not an excuse. Matthew, please. Chapter 22. Jesus, in speaking with uh, the adversaries, if you will, those who have rejected the true knowledge of God, the Sadducees and uh, the Pharisees, in Matthew 22, Jesus asks a profound question, and I wonder what the answer would be if He asked me, if He asked you the same question. That question being, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, verse 31, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God? What would my answer be? No, Lord, I've never read that before. He might ask me, why have you not read my word? Well, Lord, I was, and then because, and we give all these excuses How much time and energy and effort am I putting into the Word of God? Have you not read verse 32? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Have you not read that your brethren who have lived faithfully for God are not dead, but alive and well? And do you not believe that? And then that gives us the energy to continue to fight the good fight of faith for that beautiful and wonderful reunion in the end. But some of us haven't read it enough to believe it, to ensure that it's a part of who we are. In John chapter 8, please, some of us have have disobeyed the very opportunity and command of God to get to know who He is. Jesus says in John 8 and verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you actually know about Jesus? What do you believe? So there's this level of depth of of what we believe, that we start, if you will, in the shallows, and then as we continue to grow in Christ, our belief factor, our belief grows in an amazing way, and then our faith and our confidence and our conviction and all else grows along with it. What do you believe about Jesus? What was Jesus talking about? And Jesus says, unless you believe that I am. So I need to go back to Exodus and find out what the I am has said. Or who is the I am? I need to know who Jesus is. Because a lack of knowledge brings destruction. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Old Testament and read the northern kingdom Israel and look at how they fell. And how terrible their fall was. Back to Hosea, please. Chapter, chapter five. And we could we could leave Hosea. We could go to Second Kings, chapter seventeen. We could read where it specifically tells us why Israel fell. 
Well, they walked away from God. It's amazing that we think about if you, as a Christian, as a child of God, we know this, we understand that if we leave God, there's only one other place, right? Satan. There's only two places. Why would a Christian leave God and go to Satan? Have you not read? Do you not know? Maybe the, maybe this is the reason. Verse 5, chapter 5. Moreover, the pride of Israel testifies against him. And Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them. They will go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Why? Pride. Their pride. They were too big for God. You ever met anyone like that? Too big for God. So much pride that, well, God says only I can bring him low. Pride. Church, humility is we're supposed to be humble servants of God. Of each other. But pride gets into the way. It got into Israel's way. And Israel failed. Because they started thinking to themselves, look at what I've done. You ever heard the story of the woodpecker? The woodpecker goes up and bangs on a tree and then flies away and then lightning strikes the tree and tears it to pieces and the woodpecker looks back and says, look at what I did. Pride. Look back at the church of Sardis, please. Go back to Revelation, please, chapter 3. Have you forgotten sometimes? Pray, dear God, please help me. And here are the reasons why. And this is, Lord, what I need. And then blah, blah, blah. And you continue on your prayer. And then God brings you through that situation or brings you to something and some great event. And he brings you through it. And you're like, wow, this is wonderful. And a couple of folks pat you on the back. And instead of giving God the glory, what do we do? We're like that woodpecker. Yeah, that's what I did. No, you didn't. God did it for you. Sometimes church pride gets in the way and we forget. And the church at Sardis, for example, in chapter 3, we'll look now at verses 1 and verse 2. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. What do you think, church? Israel. I mean, even to this day, people, all Israel. Israel. Israel was proved to be a very wicked nation of God. What do people have to say about us? Do we have a name? That we are alive, but are dead. The verse says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. And so Israel had this name, but it was the wrong name. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. They had a name that 
that was an abomination in one sense from the way they lived their lives. They lived their lives horribly. They were a horrible example to the nations. When the nations looked at Israel, they had to think to themselves, we're better than them. When you think of righteousness and godliness and and sincerity and truth and humility and kindness and gentleness, does the world exemplify more of that than we? I hope not. Because then we'll have a name. We'll have a name, but it's the wrong name. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1 says, A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. A good name. Church, I know that we are striving after individually, independently, to have a good name amongst our peers, our neighbors, even amongst the church. As a church, are we striving to ensure that we have a good, solid, God-like name? When people see us and they hear about the church, the Lord's church, the bride of Christ, they say, those people over there are definitely from God. Proverbs 22, please. Those are the kind of people that I want to be around. Those are the kind of people that I want to get to know. For the way they live their lives tells me there is a God. Is that the name we have? Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. A good name. A good name. I like a good name. A good name. A good name passes down from generation to generation. A good name. Look at Proverbs chapter chapter 11. Israel had this problem with pride. 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 It was was the, the thing that Satan came in there and said, Look at you. Look at you, Israel. Look at how great you are. With and without God. They were all mixed up, weren't they? Yeah, you go back and read the Old Testament, you find out they were all mixed up. And it's Satan who interweaves himself in some way in the midst of the people of God. Jesus told us that, right? The wheat and the tares. And we forget to look to God and we start looking to ourselves. And once we do that, we are in trouble. Proverbs 11 and verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. What if if the whole church, what if every one of us made it our, our aim and our goal to strive after, to pursue, to instill within our hearts and our minds 100% humility. We're just all going to serve each other. What might, what might I do? What may I do? How can I help you? What if we all did that, church? Isn't that what God wants us to do? We're supposed to serve each other, Proverbs 16, please, in humility. I'm nothing. 
Don't you believe that about yourself? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But with God, I'm everybody. With God. Without God, we're nothing. But with God and doing His will, brethren, we together are a force to reckon with against whom? Satan. Right? That's where the fight is. The fight is with Satan. And together we draw together. We work together in humility. And we allow God to be the ruler. We allow God to be God. And we just remain servants. Humble servants doing His will. A good name is better. Is better than all else. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. But pride will certainly go before our fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Israel did not have a good name. Number one, they were stuck in pride. And then we close this out. We close this out with their other problem. And we'll come back next week and deal with the rest of them. Spiritual unfaithfulness. Yeah, have you ever heard the question, uh, let's go back to Hosea, please. Chapter 5, I want to get it from the text. You ever heard the question that's asked, how faithful is faithful? <laughs> so someone says, well, okay, well, you want me to be faithful? Well, Lord, how faithful is faithful? We'll look at that in just, in just a second. I think we already know the answer, though. Verse 5, verse 3, rather, chapter 5, verse 3. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. For a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. Back to that knowledge, right? A spirit of unfaithfulness, spiritual adultery, harlotry, is in them. They love playing with the devil more than serving the Lord. They were spiritual harlots. Wait, can we say that today? They were in spiritual adultery. I look and I ask, Lord, am I like that? Well, how faithful is faith? Well, let's think about that name for just a moment. How important is the name? Well, men, if you roll over tonight and give your wife a kiss goodnight and call her by another name, you will learn very quickly (laughs) how important the name is, right? How faithful is faithful? Well, if, if I give the, the glory that's due God, His name to someone else, even to myself, how faithful have I been to God? And then the question in Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going next. The question is, well, what is God's measuring rod like? What does God say? Well, God gives us a measuring rod. If you want to determine how faithful is faithful, it's not subjective. We could study the scriptures and understand how faithful faithful is. But I think we already know the answer. If you were in a place of God, what would you want God to do for you? 
how would you see you? And then ask yourself, how faithful have you been to God? Matthew 7 and verse 12 applies to humanity, but it also applies to God. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. How would you say, if you were God, that your servants have been treating you? How have you personally treated God? What do you expect or want God to do to you and for you? And then ask the question, are you doing that to and for God. Last scripture. James 2. The measuring rod. How faithful is faithful? Well, how faithful have I been to God? And if I were God, and I looked at me, I looked at myself, what would that answer really actually be? See, we already know the answer, don't we? We do. I want God's. I want God's mercy. Well, how merciful have I been to God? Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, you know, God says uh, that He wants His will to be in my life. And I've said, I don't want your will in my life, God. I mean, I'm not going to really say that, but I really don't. I really want... This is what I kind of want. And I kind of want you, God, to fit into my box and do what I want. And I really don't want to be in your box and really do what you want. How faithful have I been to you, Lord? For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2 and verse 13. How merciful am I, am I to God? You know, give God a break, right? You ever thought about that? Give God a break, church. What, what do you mean, preacher, when you say give God a break? Stop sinning. How about that? Stop sinning. Give him a break. Put a smile on his face. Make him happy today. Right? Just give him today. Can you do that, church? Just stop sinning. Well, preacher, you know we're always going to sin. Well, leave that defeated attitude alone and just, I know we all sin. I know we're all human. But how about just saying today, God, today, it, it's going to be all about you. And let's do that one day at a time. What do you think, church? Can we do that? I want to be merciful to my God, too. Israel fell because she didn't study. She had a lack of knowledge. She was full of pride. And she was very unfaithful. Let that not be said about us. So this morning, if you're struggling in your faith, and we can pray with you, I pray for you. If there's anything we can do, you can make that known. This morning, if not a child of God, we invite you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. We invite you today to 
hear his word, believe his word, have godly sorrow in your heart, be willing and ready to confess his name, be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. This morning is a great day. And if we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Would you have him here carry all your load? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see to what's best. For him to have his way with thee. Would you have him make you free 